Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. On today's episode, we are talking about how to create successful business partnerships, and we've got an amazing roundup of guests to walk us all through it. First up is Michaela Ulmer. She is a 15-year-old social entrepreneur, B ambassador, educator, and student. She started the Me and the Bees Lemonade business when she was just four years old, and over the past decade has sold over 1 million bottles across 1,500 stores in the U.S., her appearance on CNBC TV's Shark Tank at age nine scored a $60,000 investment from Damon John himself in 2015, and her business has not stopped growing from there. Next up, of course, is the incredible Andrew Phelps. He was named one of Arizona Republic's 35 entrepreneurs under 35. He's a seed spot mentor and content matter expert of the year. He's spoken about strategy, design, and entrepreneurship at ASU, GCU, Arizona Tech Council, and the Clean Tech Open. He's conceptualized new products for some of the largest software companies in the world and bootstrap SaaS company MVPs. And last but not least is Mark Brazil. Mark is, of course, the founder of the incredible brand Iconic. 
and he's going to talk about how he ended up building a real partnership with Gary Vaynerchuk. Does that name sound familiar? You're definitely going to listen to this entire episode and hear all the incredible advice if you want to build solid partnerships in your business. And look, let me ask you one favor. If you like one thing in this episode, if there's one part that adds value to you, be sure to take a screenshot of this episode and tag Travis on Instagram in your stories with the handle at Travis Chapel. All right, without further ado, let's get into the episode. So you go to the business fair or whatever and set up the booth and apparently it goes pretty well because you don't just stop there, right? You wanted to keep the business going after that one day. Is that right? Yeah. So it goes pretty well. Actually, it goes okay. I decided to do it again because there's two fairs. There's Lemonade Day and Business Fair. They're both in the same year and it happens every year. So it went okay. I decided to do it again. And... I just, for a couple of years, it was just kind of something that I would do a couple times a year, maybe three or four times a year. And I would meet people, exchange BFACs at my stand. When I was eight, and since I was getting so many questions about the bees, I actually started teaching little workshops in front of like restaurants that invited me there or sometimes Whole Foods for when the parents were shopping. I'd teach the kids about pollination. And so kids would be able to plant their own bee-friendly flower and then learn about bee facts from my trifold. But it was then probably around then, yeah, when I was doing a stand, an owner of a local pizza shop said, hey, if you can find a way to bottle your product, I would be willing, I'd love to carry it in my store. And so I started thinking about what, like bottle of product or those, that's the kind of stuff that you see on the shelves of the grocery stores and restaurants. How do you bottle a product? And yeah. I asked a ton of questions to my parents. I asked like store managers when we went shopping and then my parents went and then asked people who they knew had like local beverage companies or contacted cold brews and things like that just to get as much information as we could about how do you bottle a product and what's the process. That's super cool. How old were you then at this point? This was when I was eight. Eight years old. Okay. So selling lemonade for three years and then somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I love this. It's awesome. I would love to be able to carry this in my store and sell it to my customers, but I need you to bottle it first. So then that's kind of the path that you decided to go down at that point, right? Yes. And I was always, I was always pretty annoyed that my product would sell out before the fairs were over, no matter how many lemons <laughs> I squeeze, like how late I stayed past my bedtime, we'd sell out. And so I was like thinking, how can I figure out how to save bees? How can I, I, you can't make the product there at the fair. And I'm like, it's kind of like a short lived thing. I like doing it for this one day, but I can't continue doing it. And so that's why I was just so excited when someone said, bottle it you may be able to save the bees all year round. So that's awesome again. So at what point, I know that you went on Shark Tank in 2015, which means you were probably around 10 years old. So right after you bottled it, then you decided, hey, we should probably like see if we can take this somewhere else and get a little bit of money behind it. So we started in a, yeah, we started in a commercial kitchen that was probably about five minutes away from our house. It was really close, a local Austin commercial kitchen and started in that one pizza shop in East Austin, then a couple more pizza shops. And then for Whole Foods, the first Whole Foods in Austin, or the first Whole Foods ever, because it started in Austin, Mm. they contacted us and said, since you, we found out you were bottling your product, would you be willing to carry it for Buzz Week or a National Honey Bee Week? And so that's not really how products normally get into Whole Foods. 
because usually it's you have to go through their buyer, you have to go through reviews, but they actually wanted to just bring it on for a week. And it did really well. Then multiple Whole Foods and restaurants in Austin and then a couple in other cities. So by the time we went on Shark Tank, because you need to have, you know, history of sales. So by the time we went on Shark Tank, you were already in almost 30 stores and they were all very local, small stores. Okay, so you're almost 30 stores. So do you remember when you guys decided that you wanted to go on Shark Tank? Was that you or your parents or a little bit of both? It was initially me and then it became a little bit of both. So it was African-American Chamber of Commerce in Austin. And the head of it named Miss Natalie Cofield contacted us and asked, like, Shark Tank is holding auditions at our studio. Would you be willing to maybe audition? Initially, my parents said no. Sharks can be pretty brutal. And since I had been just such a big fan of the show, I was like really excited about it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the last day that they were holding auditions. Miss Natalie called us back, called my parents back, and they said, okay, we'll do like the first round of auditions. And so we were kind of unprepared for it, but we got through that round. They called us back to do another round. And I don't know exactly how long the lead up was until we got to the actual show, but I know it was months of pitch practicing and just making sure that I had it right, presenting in front of friends and neighbors. And then, yeah, we went on the show and landed a deal with Mr. Damon. So tell me about that experience. How was that for you? Very nerve wracking. (laughs) I, I always called it like nerve sighting because I was nervous even though I had presented and done little presentations at Whole Foods and things like that. So I had some experience and I really enjoyed talking to people, but I knew like who these people were and it was nerve wracking, but I was really excited because like I'd just been practicing for a long time and it could be a really big opportunity for my business. So there's a really big lesson right there, Michaela, is I always tell people that the only way to get over a lot of nerves is through over preparation, which it sounds like that that's exactly what you did, right? You knew that you were going to be really nervous for it. You knew that it was in front of people that you really, you know, admired and respected and loved and you watched their show all the time. And so you knew it was probably going to be a little bit more nerve wracking than it would be at, you know, that the local chamber or wherever you were making the presentations before. But instead of backing down from the challenge or winging it and hoping things were going really well, you decided to work on your pitch for months and months leading up to this, which eventually, you know, served you well that day. Do you remember how long you were there that day filming for the episode? It wasn't just a day. It was a couple days. And it was, I don't remember the day that we went on. I do remember that there were other entrepreneurs who were also pitching their product. And so we got to interact with each other before the show. Um, But after the show, they split us up because they didn't want us like discussing. They split us up in different hotels because they didn't want us discussing results. So it's a very discreet, it's a very like discreet process. And also you don't know whether your show, an episode is going to air on TV. Like some shows, some pitches don't actually air. And then if yours does air, they won't notify you until three weeks. So you have three weeks to rush and get inventory and like upgrade your website and things like that. So even after appearing on Shark Tank and getting the deal, we couldn't tell anyone about it. And then it's also like, are we going to get national TV coverage or is it going to be just a closed door deal? Gotcha. Gotcha. So when you went on, you got the deal from Damon, right? Yes. And that was for $60,000? Yes. How excited were you when you were able to close the deal? I was excited. Initially, we asked for 10%, I believe. That was our initial ask. So it was 60,000 for 25. But I was still really excited because 
I mean, Damon John was my favorite shark. And yeah. also, even after the Shark Tank, he came, he's flown to Austin. We've flown to New York, met each other there, multiple different conferences. So I kind of knew that he'd be a great mentor and he has been a great mentor along the way. Yeah, that's so cool. So this is, Michaela, this is Build Your Network. We talk a lot about relationships. We talk a lot about networking and connections and uh, and mentorship and how important all of those things are in and what role they play in your success. So can you tell me a little bit about how your relationship with Damon has helped make your business a little bit more successful? I think that when you like have such a power player on the side of your company, like other people kind of turn their heads. So when you have a really strong group of partners or even if like they're great investors or just someone that has a lot of respect in their industry, in the field that they're in, you're going to get a respect from other people too. So just automatically, right? Yes. Not necessarily respect, but they are going to pay attention. They're going to wonder like what made this person invest, ask a lot of questions and be curious. So I don't know if this is a term, if it is, I don't know what it's called, but guilty by association, but not guilt. It's kind of like, um, yeah, it's just you you are who you hang out with, right? Like you're associated with the people that you hang out with, which yeah. in this case is a very, very good thing for you, right? Yes. So always choose your partners, always choose whoever you're collaborating with or marketing with very wisely. Okay. So you get a deal on Shark Tank, which is like, you know, the pinnacle really, especially if you're a fan of the show, all you want to do, all you think about is going on the show and presenting your business to the sharks and walking away with the deal. And so you finally got to that point. Was there a large spike in sales after your episode ended up airing? Yes. So episode ended up airing in, uh, I think it was like, I don't even remember. It was season six, but we did, we like overproduced product. We had to upgrade the website because we knew that our current website was built not great. And so it would probably crash. Mm -hmm. So even with the upgraded website, we got a huge spike in website traffic, social media traffic, and our website almost did crash. But what happened was we hired another team to go out and manage anything that was coming in. So we wouldn't have to do it ourselves. We were Mm. in Austin having a watch party with all of the people who had supported me along the way. So we had we got to enjoy the episode and we had a team managing whatever orders came in in comments and questions. Awesome. Awesome. So from that point forward, how much easier was it to continue getting into stores like Whole Foods and other stores that we mentioned in the intro to this episode? It was easier, but it wasn't easy. And it's, <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to be easy. Sure. So it wasn't initially easy. Um, even after the show aired, it took people who were because it's national coverage and our product is it wasn't national yet and so it took people saying hey why is it i want this product where is it they would always come to us and say i need this product why aren't you here and then we're like no go to your local store and ask for the product from them we're also trying to get it there but we can't unless they know that there's demand so it took a little bit to kind of redirect that want for the product. Yeah, exactly. The traffic for the stores that could carry it. But once people started requesting it, then it became easier. Then they started reaching out. And then also when we reach out, they say, oh, I've heard of that. Someone came and asked about that the other day. So it did become easier. So now... Over the last decade, you've sold over a million bottles and you're in over 1,500 stores. Is that, cor- is that the correct number now? Yes. Is it 1,500 or 1,800 now? I think it's 1,800 now. <laughs> 
one of the big things that I really enjoyed was my job. I uh, worked as a lifeguard and then a, a swimming instructor and then a, a manager at the local pool. And uh, somewhere that I started to come into my own and I really enjoyed uh, having the responsibility and working with the team. And uh, and w- one time there was actually a really bad car accident outside of the pool. And I took my team up the hill of the park and did first aid on on some folks that really needed it. And we found out, you know, a day later that uh, we were instrumental in, in saving this guy's life. And so it was a pretty formative and ex- experienced. And um, I really didn't think about my future. I was having a good time uh, managing the pool, um, but my parents really wanted me to go to college. So mm-hmm. I went to uh, UVA down in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, just because that's where my friends were going. Um, so in high school, I wasn't thinking a lot about a career. I really liked having that tight knit team at the pool, and I really liked being able to perform under pressure. And so uh, I was considering uh, joining the military because it seemed like it would be a good option that would have a lot of the structure and maybe provide some of those more extreme situations. But ultimately I was uh, scared of the risk that it posed both physically and mentally. Uh, just, uh, just, I just uh, attend college instead. And that's where I got interested in design as a career and under started to understand that, you know, my creativity and all the things I did for fun could actually uh, be a great career and serve me for a lifetime. And is that what you ended up going to school for? I ended up going to school for graphic design. Uh, the okay. program's called Visual Communication. Got it, got it. And what, around what time period was this when you were going through school for graphic design? Um, that was 2007, 2011. Okay, got it, got it. So I'm curious on what your advice would be for somebody that was in a similar position to, uh, to, to where you were in at the time. Um, it, did, do, you view, do you view the time that you spent in college as uh, mostly good or mostly a waste or neutral? Like where, where would you land on that spectrum and what would be your advice for, for a kid that's coming out of high school right now? I think that's a great question. There's a lot of different facets. So uh, the first thing I should mention is that my parents always had the intention of paying for my school. So financial, I had to pay for any of it. I paid for things I did for fun and, uh, you know, my recreation. But as far as expenses, everything was covered. So that's what the one giant caveat that goes with this advice. Sure. Uh, I, I think... Um, if I were to pay, had to pay for it, um, I would be thinking very differently about the benefits I got from uh, my college experience. Ultimately, it was a great time for personal development and, and coming into my own. And I think academically, it's like anything else in life. You get out what you put in. Um, the classes that I poured myself into and challenged myself, I learned a ton and I wouldn't, you know, exchange those experiences or anything. Um, the other classes that I wasn't so interested in are basically a waste of time, just like anything Mm. that you half-ass in life. Sure. Sure. Okay. So coming out of college then, what was the next step for you? So wrapping up my college career, I worked on um, a system of science uh, at at U of A. Uh, It's called wayfinding design. So it's a small niche of graphic design where you design signs and systems of science to help people get around public places. And it Mm. fascinated me because uh, they do it well, nobody notices because everyone gets to go where, gets to go where they want to. So yeah, right. I was very interested in that and had sort of a job lined up for that. Uh, it ultimately fell through and it, I took it as a sign that I should really do my own thing. So I started a, a freelance design business and moved back in with my parents and, uh, you know, just gave it my best shot. See if I saw if I could, uh, you know, just, uh, 
pay some low rent, drive on my own as uh, a freelance designer. And how did that go? Well, there were plenty of ups and downs, but ultimately uh, it worked out. So I think after about 10 months, I moved out into a shared apartment and, uh, you know, slowly grew my, grew my business doing uh, basically anything I could get my hands on. Uh, I started doing UX design and digital design because uh, there seemed to be a larger demand for it and uh, it was paying better at the time. Um, this was kind of right when the even the idea of UX design as a career or an individual position was coming out of those industry leaders and yeah, starting right. to hit the main market. Um, now you can go on LinkedIn without finding a UX designer, but back then it was a rare thing. Uh, pretty hard to explain to people what you did, but right, right. I had one really great client that kind of solidified my path and uh, he, he owned a delivery business and he had a website uh, where people signed up, selected all the ingredients they could eat, couldn't eat what they wanted and paid with their credit card and he would deliver them healthy meals. And uh, he really needed a lot of help. And um, one of my current business partners, Josh Mountain and I poured ourselves into that project and kind of analyzed every step of his customer touch points online and offline and retooled everything. And we relaunched uh, his website and it went, business went from, the side to his main gig in the first month, you tripled the number of his customers by the end of the year, um, quit his, his main job. And that business grew by 540% that year. And it was all because of UX and branding tweaks. Um, and I became fascinated with this idea of like, wow, if you just analyze things and try to improve them and, and test and, you know, you can make huge differences in businesses and, and in his case, someone's life. So I got really hooked on, how design and technology can really transform things. And here I am years later doing the same thing. Sure. And you, you mentioned a, your business partner and how you guys work together on that. Can you talk about how you initially formed that relationship and why you decided to go into business with somebody? Josh is one of my best friends from childhood. So we knew each other for a long time. He was doing freelance uh, work at the same time I was. And so it was a decision to other out with some projects, but uh, you know, through running and growing businesses together, you know, our relationship has, has become wonderful, both on the business side and on the personal side. But um, it it isn't always an easy journey to get there. And I'm really proud of uh, how we've worked together, um, not just Josh and I, but our other partner Brad, um, on those business relations because it's difficult to work with partners of any kind. It's difficult to yeah. work with friends, but put it in the work and invest in the relationships and build the trust and communication. I don't think there's anything better than having some great partners. Yeah. I've always, always heard that on, you know, there's so many nuances there and there's so many negative stories that I've heard from, from failed partnerships and, and business partnerships with friends that went, you know, just really, really poorly and, and didn't just ruin the business relationship, but also the, you know, friendship. What would you say are a couple of the top things that you guys have done proactively to prevent those types of things from happening in your partnership and to see a fruitful relationship come out of it while you're still building a good friendship? That's a great question. I mean, I think it under the fundamental of any relationships, which are being honest, being open, communicating in an effective way. I think with the business side, especially a fast growth or a business that has tons of different opportunity. It's really important to check in on alignment, you know, almost daily. If you're the entrepreneurial type, you get new ideas, you want to 
to do new things. You get inspired by different things. You know that this client needs this. And maybe if we do that, this will happen. And well, you start going down these paths in your head. And when you have multiple partners, everybody's doing that. So that you're uh, checking in with each other and kind of an, al- uh, an alignment and a united front, um, you know, very consistent. That was some of the biggest challenges we were on was just failing to communicate that. Uh, soon as we got the conversation, you know, where it was like, oh, we are aligned and everything's okay. But I think it's those fundamental being honest with yourself, being honest with each other and communicating effectively and putting aside time to do it. I mean, I think the reality is that good communication takes time and it takes hours a week to effectively communicate your ideas if you're talking about strategy or business direction. And it's important that you get through all both mystical and emotional uh, so everybody knows where everyone's sitting. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Uh, who's living in Florida came to me for an idea to start a, uh, an, a mixed martial arts infused clothing company sponsoring MMA guys. And I had had that experience from college. Okay. So we did it. Um, it was good. Made a couple hundred grand. It was mid twenties. Um, actually ended up spinning it off into IP and then it became a graphic novel, a comic book. It's actually still in existence right now. But through that, I met two guys that came to me with a concept to create a luxury headwear company. And I was like 26 or 27. They basically came to me. They were my sales guys for the MMA clothing company. They had, they had, uh, grown tap out the company tap out. Wow. So I was like, wow, this makes sense. You know, before $200 jeans, there was only Lee and Levi's. Mm-hmm. Before Stan socks, there was $4 socks, $2 socks. I was like, okay, this makes sense. So I ended up touring the US with them. Um, we did three, four months, 
40 states, 175 retailers, lived on a, uh, I don't even know, a terrible tour bus, <laughs> sleeping in Walmart parking lots, taking five second showers. But we ended up acquiring funding. And then this was 2014-ish. And then I ended up moving back to California with full funding and becoming the CMO of that company. Okay. So now I was back and like, hey, this is like a real company. And we were in Lids, Bloomingdale's, Zoomies, Nordstrom's. It was it was a real company. So now yeah. I was a bit more stabilized. So that was that was good for me. I was back yeah. in, the, in the normal life. So give you a taste of success right on the heels of a pretty pretty gnarly failure. Not so much success. Think about what I just told you. I had never really worked for like a real company. So it started. It put me in like a what is society like? What, what is what are regular companies like? Hmm. And it really taught me what I wanted, what I didn't wanted. And I was number three at the company. So I saw at that point I you know I'd done sales. I'd been an intern. I'd been the CMO. I've started my own stuff. So I started seeing stuff from different angles and seeing what worked and didn't work. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that experience set me up to do what I'm doing now. And what ended up happening with that company? I ended up. I was just really undercentivized and underutilized. And at that point. I had begun my friendship with a guy named Jeff Cole, who's my business partner now. He does the art, I do the business for Iconic. And Jeff actually ended up moving to California and we lived together during this company. And then- What what was he doing at the time? He was doing 1099 work and I was sourcing him stuff from my MMA clothing company and just kind of helping him out. So he was just doing literally whatever. Doing whatever. And it's so wild to look back now because he's the goat. He's literally the best at what he does. (laughs) Yeah, And like- I think I saw it before everybody else Yeah, because he's got the best ideas. He works faster than everybody. He's honest. He's loyal. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that like, it's just crazy. So this was 2014, 2015. And we, then the company that, the, the company Mel and the hat company, we just weren't in a good spot, either of us. Yeah. And we were back to not rock bottom, but not happy, basically living paycheck to paycheck, living in Carlsbad, San Diego. Got it. Keep in mind, I'm from New York, just from Chicago. We were at Nike's, Adidas, Jordan, Carlsbad, San Diego, for people that don't know, or older people that wear sandals. Yeah. And we're in a company that had pivoted to skate. So Ryan Sheckler was a partner. We were in Zoomies. I didn't even know who Ryan Sheckler was, and I was the CMO of the company. <laughs> so if you guys want to talk about authenticity, I knew that it was time to go. Yeah. So this was, I don't know, a couple years back, three years back, maybe. And then we pivoted out of that, me and Jeff, for an MBA licensed company. It was a consumer product MBA licensed company, which I don't want to talk about much to, to be frank with you. But through that, we moved to LA together, me and Jeff and the office. We lived in the office with this other guy. And that's in 2016, we were like, let's start dropshipping art because I owned a couple of big Instagram accounts. And at that time I managed an artist, his name is Timmy Sneaks. And I saw a huge hole in the price point art business. Everybody that was emailing me could not afford the art. So I was like, wow, let's drop a limited edition print, not limited, limited units, limited time. So for 48 hours, we can make as much money as possible. Made a lot of money. And I was like, wow, there's a huge hole in this market. So then Jeff was like, wow. He looked at Instagram and he's like, I'm seeing all this inspirational stuff. I'm seeing these, these photos and these crude memes, you know, let's just mess around and start drop shipping art. So Jeff had actually printed all of his art through this one company in college. So he had this relationship with this one company, oddly enough. And we started doing it, making $1,000 here and there in 2016. Black Friday, we made like 20 grand. And we were like, wow, this is awesome. This is was a side hustle. We were like, right, right. We were like, this is complete. Like we didn't even touch the account. It was like, whatever. And then February 27th, 2017 occurred. We moved from Squarespace to Shopify and we discovered something called digital marketing. And for everybody that's listening right now, I would consider myself 
pretty well versed in digital marketing. February 27th of 2017, which is a little over two years ago, I knew absolutely zero about digital marketing. Zilch. I did not know what ROAS is, return on ad spend for people that do digital marketing. They would say that's like the, the most mundane, easy thing to know. So then in March, we started doing ads. Month one, we just, there was white space. You're running your own ads or? Uh, we had a guy that was helping us. Okay. So it was me, Jeff, and a guy that was helping us. And then it just went wild. And we were working from five o'clock in the morning to eight in the morning. And then the second our partner in that MBA company left at five or six, the door slammed and we went crazy. Hmm. I was a lot of espressos. And it was just, it was the first time that me and Jeff were mutually aligned with hmm. the yeah. revenue upside. And then right. obviously the effort. And it was like, hey, the more effort we put in, the more money we make. Yeah. And we had also come from retail where for people that don't know retail, there's there's different terms. So there's something called net 30, net 60, net 90 or consignment. Net 30 means that you put the goods in and then you don't get it for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. Or consignment where you put the goods in and you only get the money for what you sell. So you're basically floating money to these retailers where it hurts your cash flow and then potentially you cannot even get paid. Like when we were the hat company, like what am I going to do when I send 15 $200 hats to Johnny in Atlanta? And I call Johnny and say, Johnny, give me money. What am I going to do? Right, right. I'm not going to curse, but Kiss you know. goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> it's not coming back. Right. So then we discovered this e-commerce thing where the Shopify cha-ching happened. Yeah. And the money came in. And there's no retailer in the middle. There's nothing. Yeah. So it was immediate satisfaction. And we just, it just became, it became crazy addictive where I will forever remember the day where Jeff is a fanatical worker, but he, he, he was a party guy in college. You know, he went to university of Arizona and such. So he would, he, he's got his friends that he goes out with. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time that we had his, in the beginning, we would keep the chings on, the Shopify chings on. And he was downstairs. They were downstairs to pick him up. And on the way out, it went cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. And as he was walking out, he goes, F that. And he comes back. Didn't want to go out, <laughs> you know? And that's when it just, like, it, it was so exciting. Yeah. Right. For anybody that's entrepreneur out there, the beginning is just, oh, God bless the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So... How many cha-chings in how short of a period of time? Like like when three, six months down the road, were you guys just like, okay, we got to just stop whatever else we're doing and just like do this full time? Well, that's where Jeff and me differ. As you can tell, I'm a cowboy. He is not. So it was, a, it was an every single day thing. I was like, bro, let's go. We got to do this. Yeah. And once we're not reliant on one skew or one art piece, mm -hmm. once it started spreading to yeah. multiple skews, then he's like, okay, let's do this. Okay. So we did the first 2 million part-time. Wow. Wow. So, so anybody out anybody out there that's got excuses, you should probably stop this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that, bro. I mean, anytime I talk with somebody who has an excuse on something, I'll ask them if anybody out there has ever been something has ever been through something similar or worse than what they're currently going through. Yeah. And the answer is always yes. And then the follow up question is, has that person been able to to turn that situation into a great situation. Yeah. And the answer is always yes. So then it's like, there go the excuses. Like they're out the window. It comes down to the fact that like you're either willing or you're not willing to put in the work. Both are fine either yeah. way. But if your goals are something that is not going to align with the amount of work that you're willing to put into it, then yeah. you can't get upset about not reaching those goals. Right. Like <laughs> it yeah. just doesn't make sense. You can't, you got to pick one or the other. Can't it's, have both. It's all in your head. It's yeah. really all in your head. That That's, to harp on my lead again, because he's just got so much good stuff. Yeah. He always talks about building internal reputation. With yourself. Proving yeah. to yourself inside your head 
Every day I wake up, I make my bed, make my bed, do the pull-ups, do this, do that, do that. And then you'd be start seeing like, wow, I could really do this. Wow. I can really, let's do this for three days. And after three days, you're like, wow, let's do this for six days. And for me, I've just systematically, I'm now like really battling in my head to just prove to myself that I'm who I know I can be. And it's so much fun too, because when you get those little wins in yourself, like sometimes I'm just like, get really happy. Like I'll have like my headphones on. And I'll get like really happy. Cause I like I did something internally. And like my partner always looks at me like you're a weirdo, you know? So, <laughs> okay. Let, let's go a little bit, a little, little practical here, bro. So for anybody that doesn't know, and I'm sure that, I'm sure that they've been kind of listening and their interest is peaked about what Iconic is. So can you, yeah. since we haven't clearly defined what your company is, what you do, what your revenue has been in the last couple of years, can you just kind of give us a quick synopsis of that? It is affordable pop culture art. So as low as $70 up to a thousand dollars. And uh, we have tons of licenses, Muhammad Ali, Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, the NBA, tons more coming. We ship worldwide. And that's the basic genesis behind it. You know, me and Jeff are pretty forward facing and we're really passionate about motivation and inspiration. So a lot of our content and pieces are revolve around that. And then we have, we put out tons of content. So, I mean, if you watch our web series, it's all about like dialogue like this. So that's really it. I think to keep it Super, super simple. That's what it is. Um, you know, where do you go to get your art? Ikea, yeah. posters, right. Amazon, Target, Target. <laughs> you know, if you want super unique stuff yeah. that's affordable. Iconic. I K O N I C K. You got that right before too. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Once you got that wrong. Yeah. yeah. Thank I you. I do my research, man. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, go to iconic.com to, to check out some of their stuff. Really, really great things. Um, on the horizon there. I want to get into how you put together a couple of your partnerships, bro, because I think this is this is what ties into the conversation from earlier where we're talking about really cutting your teeth and learning emotional intelligence and how to communicate yeah. with people all from all different walks of life, cultures, backgrounds, mm -hmm. you know, uh, societal statuses and whatever. Um, so I think this is what really ties it in. So let's pick one of these specifically to go into. I know you have a ton of different partnerships and different licensing deals with, with other people, but specifically let's go into the uh, how you guys were able to build a new partnership with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and what he's got going on. For sure. Yeah. Uh, it goes back to what we talked about before. It's all about value first. When I think about every single person in my life, and let's just exclude my family because they brought me to, to earth, I'm just giving favors to everybody. I can't really think of many people right now in my head that it's like, I owe you one because I'm just value. value. I just throw so much value out there. And Gary reached out to Jeff to do the rebrand for Vayner Sports. Jeff did oh, it. Really? Okay. Jeff did it. And they go, how much? And I go to Jeff, we're not charging them. Just wait. So we did a Gary on a Gary. So he did, he did the actual design for work. free. And Jeff okay. charges a lot. Yeah. And well, I mean, and for a company that can actually pay you. Exactly. Yeah. So that happened. And then what happened? We had an inside guy at Vayner. His name is Justin Giangrande. We had just started popping off the company. So then we waited six months and then Jeff, Jeff had started watching Gary's stuff. Jeff was an artist and now he's starting to have a little bit more business sense. Gary is the one that put him on. And then obviously I'm psychotic about learning and, and listening to podcasts and such. Mm -hmm. So us together, he's starting to get more into business. So like six months after that happened, he's like, bro, are you going to do anything with Gary? And literally it was like a late night and I was at my computer. I was like, eh, yeah. So I put together an email and I go, yo, Justin, we're huge Gary disciples. Here's our revenue the last six months. Do me a favor, get me a meeting. Justin hits me right back with a screenshot from him and Gary. He goes, dope. Get me a meeting with these guys. A week later, we get a, a calendar invite. And keep in mind, at this point, we're not fanboying over Gary, but I mean, this is a guy that we consume all of his content. I highly sure. respect him. Beverly Hills Hotel, we get a calendar invite from 5.15 to 5.30. 15-minute meeting. 
This is how, this is how busy this guy is. So we get a 15 minute meeting with him. We go there and that 15 minute meeting turns into an hour. It's absolutely explosive. We're on, we're on the Gary V show. And by the end of it, he was just like, I like you guys come to New York and I'm from New York. So we go a week later, go to his office. We talk and we ended up staying in um, the music studio with him until two in the morning, developing like a real relationship with him. He's like, what are we doing here? I was like, I don't know. Let's do something. And then we ended up doing something. And it was funny because the real ones know the real ones. And mm, yeah, think about this in the beginning, that first couple million, Jeff was solely focused on the design. So I'm doing everything else, mm-hmm. doing all the customer. I'm doing everything. So, you know, for these interviews and when I'm on panels, if you're preparing, not, not you, because you should prepare because you're interviewing someone, but like, if, if you're asking me questions, I don't have to prepare because I did it. Right. So Gary's asking me all these probing questions and he's like, this guy knows what he's talking about right. because I'm doing it. So right away that happens. And then parallel to that was a conversation with Scooter. Scooter and Gary are two kingpins. They're both huge Jet fans and they had never been in a business together. So that they were both were happening simultaneous. And then we told both about it. And then we closed the same deal at the same time. Wow. So with Scooter, Braun and Gary V, Came same deal. Same time, same deal. Gotcha. Bro, there's so many parts of this that I that I really love because everything that you're talking about is everything that I teach on the show and try to get people to see, right? Because that's the whole idea behind creating content is yeah. like trying to create a change in somebody yep. and like convince them that this way is of doing it is a better way of doing it than the other way or maybe yeah. the old way or whatever. So there's a couple of things in that story that, that I want to point out. First of all, I hear a lot of people, especially in the networking, quote unquote, networking world that say like, hey, be interested, not interesting, right? Like yep. always be interested in the other person. And I agree with that for the most part, but I think it makes people back off on the being interesting part, which is like half of the equation. I like where you're going with this. Yeah, because like you had, you got to be a person of interest in order to demand attention from other people of interest. 100%. So like if you were just another one of Gary Vee's fanboys that like walk into the office, yeah. then you're going to, you're going to leave five minutes later with a picture of you shaking yeah. his hand and like, that's it done. Right. Big thing with that too. You can't be a fan and a friend. So you got to pick one or the other. Mm. I don't want to interject though. Keep yeah, going though. No. You're, you're on a good path right now. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I love that you pointed that out. And you can consume somebody's content and be their friend without being like a geeky, like 100%. nerd out fan. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.